The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. I'm also going to read the scripture for this morning, which is Matthew 22:15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a Daenerys, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and God to things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the Lord, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Caroline. Well, um, <clears throat> again, it's good to see all of you. My name is Stacy Croft. If I haven't met you, I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Music Row, and so glad to be able to preach uh, the gospel to you. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, um, one of the things I'm thankful for, um, just as before we begin, I'm going to give a few announcements, um, is just the way our church has handled things. Uh, by the way, I didn't say this earlier, I did not t- uh, contract uh, uh, COVID through any part of our church or on a Sunday morning or anything like that. In fact, one of the things I've been so thankful for is uh, just looking back at the way that uh, Aaron and our team has uh, set this up, as well as the way our uh, video team has set up live stream, and how many of you are taking advantage of that. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, it's just been a delight to, in the midst of such a strange time, to worship the living God. And uh, I'm just so thankful for that. And just a couple quick announcements um, for you, uh, just as a reminder. Uh, You can always, we're moving just for now, uh, today was 10 a.m., just while it's a little cooler out until we uh, move indoors for winter, uh, we're going to meet at 10 a.m. pretty regularly uh, ongoing now, uh, just to have a little bit more of the sun uh, and warmth since it's getting uh, cooler. But we also want you to register online. I know many of you registered to come this morning. Um, Also, if you're uh, watching online with us to uh, actually register what are called the uh, black books online, the... uh, uh, filling out the form because at one point we're hopefully not going to need to register. We'll just fill those out electronically. We're trying to move everything to that as well as uh, continued giving, which one of the things that's been so encouraging about uh, your giving and your graciousness uh, in continuing to support and give is that we're continuing to support uh, those who are really impacted right now, whether it be wildfires in California, whether it be people in, in our own city affected still by the tornadoes that hit us. I know that seems like forever ago, but they're still rebuilding. Some of you live over in those neighborhoods. There's a lot that we're still partnering with and that we're still really caring for and giving to uh, all during this time. It's not just about us meeting, uh, but about us giving as well. And so those kind of things. There's also ways to connect um, just continually. Things that we're doing on small
smaller levels. Uh, connect groups are meeting still. We have a number of those. We had an awesome neighborhood Sunday a few Sundays ago. Uh, and you can find all those connect groups online. They're all neighborhood-based. If you're looking for a place, for they're all uh, multi-generational and uh, just all over the place. So we'd love for you to look at, at those. We have seven. I think we're going to multiply those pretty soon. If several of those are going to multiply, we should have uh, about three or four or even more of those in different neighborhoods. So I'd love for you to look at those. As well as our men's and women's groups, we have groups of four. We call them four groups. So some of them are uh, five or some are three. It's not, it doesn't have to be four group, but uh, those have been great uh, men's and women's deeper study groups that are ongoing right now. Love If you're looking for a smaller group of Bible study to just walk through the Bible together, those are great, just intentional, deep, small, nimble, can meet at different times because there's not a, a larger mass of people. Uh, and so those are great groups and you can find those online as well. So a lot of ways to still worship, connect, and serve together uh, all now and even moving into the winter months as we do. Well, um, I remember when I was in college, I had to go to a chapel service. I went to Baylor University years ago. And uh, one of the things that was mandated uh, at that time, I don't know if it is now, but was a chapel service once a week for freshmen. And you'd go and uh, they would actually, I mean, Baylor's a big school, so they, they had this huge auditorium. And one of the things that they did was they would take attendance. That was how you passed or failed chapel, right? <laughs> Pass or failed chapel is kind of a scary thing, isn't it? Uh, so you would, you would often, I remember I, on my board, I had, I had like a whiteboard next to my bed. And I had all my classes. And if I didn't want to go, I'd wake up and mark it with a dry erase marker so I knew how many I'd missed. I was diabolical. And so, um, but the problem was, I think my roommate came and rubbed it off. So I was like, no, I don't know how many I missed. But anyway, uh, but making it to class and particularly chapel in this huge auditorium, I remember going and sitting in there. And you know, there, there are all sorts of speakers and people that came sometimes. Man, I remember they brought, I cannot remember that team, what they were called. This, this group that would come and like tear phone books. Do you remember this group? They would tear phone books and they taught, it was like motivational. Like, I don't know how that's motivational, but other than, hey, look, I'm going to rip a phone book. I'm super strong. But then they told us like, hey, you know, stay in school. It's like, well, we're in school. You know, like it just didn't make. Um, but I remember one in particular moment where uh, the governor of Texas came at that time. And as they came up on stage, a rain of booze started coming out. And look, I wasn't, uh, you know, super into politics as a, as a college student. Maybe I should have been more. I knew enough and I knew kind of some thoughts. I had some opinions, those kind of things. But I was struck by what I was listening to and what I heard in that moment. And what was, in my opinion, so incredibly disrespectful, there was not a campaign going on. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't even an election. It was just the governor there to speak to a group of students. And this person had not even opened their mouth without these boots. I remember not long after that, a friend of mine coming to me and asking a question that I'd never heard before. They were visibly upset, had had a number of friends say some things to them, and they said to me, and they asked me this question, do you think you can be a Christian and be a, I'm not even going to fill in the blank. You think you'd be a Christian and be a Republican or a Democrat? 
Never had that question posed to me before. And I remember looking at them and thinking, and even then and now going, this is what we really think. This is how we really act. Look, there's enough tension in the air for us coming up on Tuesday, right? Uh, I didn't get to preach last week, so I'm going to fill it all in today. (laughs) But one of the things that's great about this passage that Jesus does that is so unnerving to us is that we want to say, Jesus, how would you vote? What do you say, Jesus? What's your thought on this? And we want to put Jesus in a corner. We want him in our corner. We want to get Jesus to say, yeah. And here's what's powerful about this passage. If you, it, the gospels are called the synoptic gospels. There's actually four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. The reason is, is because they all have a similar view. And if you look in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that similar view, this passage is found in all three. That should make us sit up and say, this is really something important for us to think about. There's something to this passage that's calling us out to say, okay, what does Jesus want us to know about the government? What does he want us to experience as we go to the polls? What are we supposed to do? How would you vote, Jesus? We're going to talk about that. We're going to see how Jesus would vote. We're going to look at it in three ways, briefly. Because what I hope happens from this sermon isn't that it answers all your questions. I hope it actually causes more and causes us to have good discourse, that we actually can speak healthy to one another and go to vote with a conscience that isn't full of fear, but one that is full of gospel of good news. And that means whoever you vote for. So we're going to look at three things from this passage that should help us by God's grace. (laughs) Humility, activity, and then finally identity. Humility, activity, and identity from this passage. You know, when it begins this passage, it's kind of an interesting thing because it says then the Pharisees, which maybe if you've read the Bible, you've heard the Pharisees' name before. It says they went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. These are two parties that are completely opposite from one another, going to entrap Jesus. Now that definitely sounds like a political thing, right? How do I entangle Jesus in his words? (laughs) You know, one of the things about this passage that's interesting is seeing the inconsistencies in this. The irony. The Pharisees were a religious group. Maybe, again, you've heard of them before. They were kind of a run-of-the-mill group. They weren't like, some people think the Pharisees is like these bad people that, you know, cloaked themselves and tried to hide. And they really weren't. They were really middle of the road. We want to follow God. We're, you know, typically kind of the conservative uh, in terms of following uh, God's law. That's what they were cared about. They were kind of on that end of things. Uh, They weren't really for what the Romans were doing. They were a little bit against that. And yet, then on the other side of that was the Herodians. This is one of the only times they're mentioned. The Herodians were a group that actually decided, we're going to get cozy with the Romans. We're going to do the opposite. 
they would have been kind of like uh, more of the secularists, if you want to put them in that category. They followed more Roman rule. They cared more of what, about what they were willing to compromise and follow that. They were on the liberal end of that spectrum in terms of religiosity or who they were as, as followers of God. And here you have both sides, a bar, bipartisan effort coming together to destroy one man, Jesus. And yet here's what's interesting about both of them. The Herodians and the Pharisees were incredibly inconsistent in the way they even approached this question that they posed to Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? If that doesn't tell you that the uh, argument of taxation has been an argument for a long time, isn't that what so many, don't raise taxes. Raise, who are we gonna vote for? Is it gonna raise taxes? Are they not gonna raise it? We talk about taxation forever. They have been. But here in this moment, taxation represented a little bit more to them directly that it meant subjugation and oppression to a lot of the Jewish people. And so the Herodians, ironically, were for, they were like, yeah, we're fine doing taxes. But here's what's odd. If you turn to Matthew chapter two, you'll read about, and we're in Matthew 22, 20 chapters to the left, you'll find that Herod, those who followed Herod, Herodians, was the one who actually decided when Jesus was born and he was threatened by his kingdom, was going to put all the babies in that region to death. And yet the one who escaped, the one who came out of that, his kingdom is not of this world, as Jesus said. And all these people kept following him. And now the Herodians are the ones that follow the Romans and want to say, Herod's great. We're, gonna, we're even going to be allowed to be identified as Herodians, even though this same very person tried to genocide our entire people. How inconsistent. And then you have on the other side, the Pharisees. The people who wanted to follow God, they said, no, we're, we're against taxation, but we'll do what we need to do because we want to preserve ourselves. So here's the irony. They were hoping as the opposite, the Herodians were hoping to catch Jesus saying, no, you shouldn't pay taxes because they wanted him to be caught for treason. The Pharisees were saying, we want him to say pay taxes so we can put him in a box. And yet here's the interesting thing that the Pharisees, what were they doing? What was their inconsistency? Every road they walked on, every war they were protected in, every educational booth or, or institution that they, they took advantage of, every piece of bread they bought was with the very money that they were against paying to Caesar. Inconsistent. What's our point here? The point here is that we need to see our inconsistencies. We are all inconsistent. We are all inconsistent when it comes to politics. And if we can't see that we are wrong and that the candidate, the party, the whatever platform we look at, that we're wrong in not just one way, but a lot of ways, that we're, then we're confusing what kingdom we really care about most. We need to know whose we really are. 
We live inconsistent. Right now is, uh, is a, a sports season. You know, we've had a lot of sports. And a couple times this has happened where my, I will say, God, I'm so glad that they're losing. And one of my kids will say, why do you not like that team so much? Why do you hate that team so much? And I've been faced recently with the fact of, why do I hate that team so much? Why do I want them to lose all the time? My inconsistencies just in those little ways. I remember when we lived in Mississippi and I was going to seminary and, and Megan, my wife, was a teacher there. I went to visit her class one day and uh, it was in Mississippi. And so, um, you know, when the, uh, the Egg Bowl was coming, which if you don't know what the Egg Bowl is, that's the big game of Mississippi State versus Ole Miss. Many of you here have actually went to these schools. And so you know how contentious this really is. Well, we go, I go into Megan's class, and I remember, I can't remember if I said, if I asked the question or Megan asked the question, but it came up, who's going to win the Egg Bowl? Who are you for? And these are little kids. Like, I don't even know if they knew the players. And we're like, who's going to win? Ole Miss. They're like, Ole Miss, stay. You know, they were like, they, they, they were just, the whole room was divided. And if I was to sit and ask them, why? I don't think they could probably name but maybe two things. Ole Miss is better and maybe they'll get more points. I don't know. You know, like what, <laughs> where does this come from in us? It's embedded. And sometimes we don't even know why we are pursuing something. I think often, and one of the things we need to think about as we go to the voting polls is are we going to vote because we're against someone or against something more than we are for something? Voting in opposition isn't causing us to think about who we are. As Christians, we aren't called to think of this world as us playing defense, hoping that we have a candidate or a political party that's going to help us the most. We actually, are we looking to the government to do things for us that the church should be doing? Not the government. Is our vote something in opposite? We need to think about that. I love this from Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis wrote this and about what the evil, and think about this even in this passage when Jesus says, what, are, you, are you trying to entrap me? You know, the only other place that that word comes into play is a few chapters before this when Satan is trying to entrap Jesus. That there's a bigger thing going on here. It's not just, why are you trying to entrap me in this political discussion? It's why are you trying to entrap me to take my mind off of that this is just one question in the myriad of a spiritual battle that's going on. C.S. Lewis, when he talked about this in Screwtape Letters, which is a book written about how does the spiritual world impact our current physical world? How do they go together? How about, how do demons and how does Satan, how does, how does evil work its way into our understanding? Listen to what they say about politics. Be sure that the patient, that means human beings, remains completely fixated on politics. Arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. 
Make sure to keep the patient, that is us, in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain towards the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure that the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken systems rather than recognizing there's a problem in himself. The inconsistency has to be recognized in our own hearts that it's not going to be right. No matter who is in office, we're going to all be disappointed. Whether it's the person you want or don't want. The difference in Christianity and anything else is that it's not based on a system. It's based on a person. And how did this person win over the universe? How did Jesus win the universe? You know that they came to Jesus multiple times in the Gospels to say, hey, you seem like a great candidate. I mean, in fact, the disciples themselves said, we're following the best candidate. (laughs) This guy can give bread to 5,000 people. This guy can walk on water. I mean, we we got a winner here. And over and over, Jesus keeps bringing up to them, wait, 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 you don't understand. I have to go to death, even death on a cross, which is not just a cross, wasn't just death. It was actually a political statement saying that this person is against everything that our government agrees with. It was for insurrectionists. How does Jesus win the universe? Jesus wins the universe not by riding in on a horse with a sword, but on a donkey. He comes in humility. He comes in lower than anyone else around him. In fact, you know what one theologian picked up in this passage that I I wouldn't have picked up had they mentioned it? That you notice that he doesn't pull a coin out of his own pocket. He asks someone to give it to him. He doesn't even have the money. He puts himself so in a position of humility that he goes beneath anyone else so that he might win all of us. You know, it was in the sixth year 6 AD that a group when the Romans would actually press the taxation on them there's a group called the Zealots that are not mentioned here but they're actually kind of hinted in in this passage led by a guy named Judas Maccabeus who would actually lead a revolt and he would ride into Jerusalem on a horse with a sword to free Israel from Rome. And they're all waiting in this question to Jesus. Is it lawful? When they ask, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? They're not asking him, is it lawful? Like, is it against the law? Like, civil law. They're asking, is it God's law? Is it lawful? And Jesus beautifully says, give me a coin. And he says, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And, <clears throat> and he said, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. 
Notice he doesn't just say, pay your taxes. He says, look at the image. And on that image, the actual coin that he would have would be an interesting thing. It was almost like a penny in our time, a denarii. And he would look at it and he'd say, what, what inscription is this? Look at this image. And he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. He doesn't say, don't pay your taxes. He says, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. He says, for you to live as a citizen is to pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. But what he's saying is, he's give your taxes, but not your worship. See, on that inscription was actually something that spoke to the divinity of the Roman emperor. And so what Jesus was doing was he was saying, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. His image is on this thing, give it back to him. It's great. But it doesn't mean you're giving your worship. We as Christians, I think one of the things that has been so difficult over the last, oh gosh, several years, long before this election, is the strange entanglement of Christianity with politics. And not just that, you know, if you are a Christian, you're labeled as voting this way, but, but also the avoidance of Christians leaning into government, caring about what is in this world. As Lewis said again beautifully, he said, you'll find that Christians who are most effective in this world are the people who think about the next. In fact, that Christians themselves should be the people who are most effective in this world, leaning into the world, not away from it. That our voting isn't, and what Jesus is saying here, is that we're supposed to lean in. Our voting on Tuesday isn't about just a policy. It isn't just about us feeling strongly about one thing or two things or a candidate. It's actually about what do we really believe whose world this is? What do we really believe? Do, do we really believe in legislation more than transformation or redemption? Doesn't mean we shouldn't believe in legislation. Jesus doesn't say that. But what does he say? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Lean to, but render to God's what is God's. See, I think the, the, one of the big things here is when Jesus talks about this, he's saying, do we live in a fear because what both these parties are doing, this bipartisan effort to destroy and kill Jesus, is that they're both operating out of a fear. And if there's anything, here's a question for you. If someone that you find gets elected this Tuesday, is it going to devastate you? I mean, it's going to be hard. There's going to be, this, this, there are people worried about rioting. There's all sorts of stuff going on. I'm not taking this lightly. But what I'm saying is, as a church, is it going to knock us over? Is it going to knock you over? I heard someone say at some point, somewhere down the line of the last election, someone, uh, Aaron told me this illustration. Someone was more devastated over the election than they were over 9-11. What do we hold dear? I do want to press in on this for a second, on our activity. 
Because I want us to be active citizens, but I also don't want us, and I think that Jesus is calling us here to render to Caesars. It means there's an action. It means we lean in. It means we're consistent and humble, but we lean into what is real. And not out of fear because we think this kingdom is all there is. Notice they're both afraid because both these religious and non-religious groups, are. their security is more in what they can keep and what they can hold on to in their kingdom, in their little spaces, than who really is the king. And I really want to encourage us with that that we not get away from the fact that who's the one that comes in and doesn't want us to live out of fear, but out of love, out of power, out of truth, because he is not swayed in any way. He's not thwarted by them or by Satan himself. There's nothing that will keep Jesus from going to his throne for his kingdom that we are a part of. And it means we need to be active. It means we need to be active in this world and in government so that we're not voting based on spite. We're not voting, we're, ba- we're thinking through issues and we're discussing issues and we're talking about them. I've said this before, I really pray and hope our uh, whole church is really balanced in that there's a lot of people voting for one way and there's a lot of people voting for another. And that we should vote. To be a Christian doesn't mean we don't render anything. You don't give it, you render, you give to, you lean in. Because if we know that what really matters is not right now, it's coming afterward, we can grieve. We can grieve over maybe maybe the person that you don't get in office doesn't get there and you can grieve healthily. But we don't grieve without hope and we don't leave this world to rot and we don't lean, we don't lean away, we lean in because we care about the issues that are going on and we see that both conservatives and liberals don't have it right. that we all are underneath someone who did. Because here's the point. Here's what's amazing. Think about this. If you look back, that for politicians, we're looking in, and I love Michael Ware, who uh, wrote a number of books. He he and Scott and others, uh, Governor Haslam as well, and and some people have done forums before, uh, long before he got here, several years ago. He said this, he said, politics should be a forum for Christians to express their love for their neighbors. While others pursue naked self-interest in politics, we can become someone who considers the good of our community for all of our community, that we're thinking beyond ourselves when we vote, not our preservation, but our, our king and his kingdom. You know, educational systems, medicine, all these things came out of, you know what? They came out of not just somebody think of an institution, of Christians leaning in and not waiting for the government to act, but for us to care for this world and then being the church. And using the government for what the government is as a good tool 
but not waiting for the government to do the work of the church by caring for the oppressed, looking for justice, giving mercy, giving the gospel, the good news of what that means, the hope that there's something more. Because this is how this passage goes. Notice this, he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God's. You know, the inscription that's on the coin is Caesar's. But think about this for a minute. What is Jesus actually saying? Where is God's inscription? God's inscription is on us. You see what Jesus did, just did that's unbelievable. He says, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. Yes, give, lean in, care for those things, but render to God what is God's, his image that is impressed on you. You and I in his image. And what that means is that we have to think about all of this differently. It means we have to step back and go, wait, this isn't all about me. If I'm really in his image, that means that I see myself and others in a dignity that is different than just my own preservation, my own issue, my own policy, my own candidate. It's beyond me. There's a God who actually has put his inscription on you and your life. And that means your value has gone incredibly up. So that whatever happens from this vote to the next, that we don't vote without hope because our, our hope isn't in a system. It's in a person. See, coming to this table means everything. It means that... It means... And I actually want you to take your... If you have your bulletin... Take your bulletin out briefly. And look at the, right where it says the Lord's Supper, where it says the Heidelberg Catechism, question one. And there's a question in here that really should be the question for this Tuesday. What's that question? What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is it? How would you answer that? What is your comfort in life and in death? Is your only comfort going to be at the end of your days that you got it right when you went to the polls? That you avoided voting? Or that you trust in someone who is above anyone that is written on that ticket. And that gives you freedom to do that. It gives you hope to know that you're not dependent on one thing, one person, one moment. You see the long game because your comfort in life and in death. Listen to this. Let me read it before we read it together. That I am not my own, but belong with what? Body and soul, both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We can go with a hope. We can go with a joy. We can go with a humility and an activity as Christians knowing 
that we trust in someone who holds our life in his hands. What did he do as a candidate? Here's your candidate. <laughs> Here's the one who put himself in the, in the front line to be rejected in every way. And yet what? He was raised and exalted to the highest place so that we can actually engage in this world with a hope that goes beyond it, that we may be missed and understood, that the Christian voice may not be heard as the loudest or right away, but it is always the most steady and strongest because it isn't just your voice. You go with the weight of the voice of redemption, of the one who is redeeming the the government right now. The one who we're going to do a whole series on it during Advent. What does Isaiah say about the Savior who's coming of the world? That the government is on his shoulders. And that gives us hope. And that changes the way we speak. And that changes the way we live. With that now, let's read this catechism together as our hope.